0: If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review, as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. Today, I'm joined by the man that made the music for Ed Ed Eddie, Mr. Patrick Caird. Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Fantastic, man. Uh, When I started reaching out to everybody, I was surprised at how many of the folks from AKA Studios that actually said, yeah, I'll come on your show and talk to you about something we did 20 years ago. And it's never, ever failed to amaze me when I get to talk to you guys. So I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, With that being said, I want to take a step back and really look at how Patrick got into music. I read through your bio a little bit, says you started out as a jazz saxophone. Uh, a, a player. But I want to know, at what point did you really start looking at music differently? Has it always been a part of your life? Or when did it really start to trickle into your life?
1: Uh, yeah, I started uh, in, I guess, junior high playing the saxophone. And uh, at first, it was just something to do. Uh, and then and then I got quite serious about it. Uh, the second year that I was playing, I had a really great band teacher who was a saxophone player and uh, a maniac <laughs> and uh and then I and and a couple other kids in the class were into saxophone and we would play together and practice together and stuff but at that time I was still doing all the usual you know sort of grade nine stuff grade ten stuff uh I was really into theater I wanted to be an actor at that point and uh and then I, I remember distinctly the day I heard John Coltrane, man. I Someone put a record on at, after school, uh, and it was just like, because I'd been listening to a lot of jazz music, you know, because you do when you're a saxophone player. And just this thing hit me, and I kind of went, what is that? And, uh, and that really, just from that day on, I started practicing incessantly. And uh, I remember in grade 11, I, uh, I was good at English. I was pretty good at that, at, at that sort of classes and uh, grade 11 and 12. And, and I had a teacher uh, and I said to him, look, at man, uh, I'm reading above the, the level of the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading above this. Yeah. I'm going to be a saxophone player. <laughs> can I spend, because the classes were 80 minutes long in that school. And I said, can I spend our English classes in the practice room practicing and you know i'll do all the tests and all the reading you want everything and uh and he said yeah go ahead and uh i think one time i remember being in the in in one of the practice modules at school and looking up and seeing him standing outside checking on me but aside from that i just spent i think it was grade 11 english uh in the music room practicing so anyway that's the uh Long and detailed version of the story. That's when I got heavily into the saxophone, and uh, yeah, and then and and that was it. From then on, it was all about playing jazz music and playing saxophone.
0: So, growing up, was music a, a real big part of you? You know, your family dynamic, or was it specifically you that was just all you wanted? Once you absorbed by you, like ah, oh, that's all I want to do.
1: My parents didn't play instruments, but they were they were music. You know, they they liked music. Yeah. I think my mom sang in a choir or something, and my dad messed around with guitars, but he never really played them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were encouraging to me uh, with with everything, whether it was hockey or acting, or they were they were great. But and there was music around the house, and as it turns out, I mean, I wound up take stealing my parents' record collection because it was Nat King Cole (laughs) and Frank Sinatra. You know, it's like I'll take this stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, but it just got into me like the day I heard train it was like it just got into me and that was it and uh, and yeah so that's what I did and I wound up working hard at school and graduating six months early and practicing for the six months you know nine months or whatever between January and September to uh, you know to get ready to go to college and I went to a college in uh, in Vancouver where I was where I moved this was I was living in Toronto when I, when I started playing and then we moved to Vancouver for my last year of high school. And, uh, you know, which, you know, when you think about it, maybe that's part of the reason that I could get so into playing because I just left all my friends and everything in, in Toronto for my last year of school, went to a brand new high school and like all the, all the clicks were already in place and everyone was, you know, so I was an outsider. So it was easy for me to spend all day practicing. <laughs> Well, it
0: just it just goes to show you something, because talking to people in this field, you get a 50 50 answer when it comes to, hey, mom, I want to do X, Y and Z. And then it's either they're either super, super supportive or they're like, man, you're never going to make money in this shit. Go do something with your hands where you're in a trade. So it's it's very refreshing. And a few people I've had on have said the latter of the two where it's just like they were super supportive. And a lot of them were from the AK, whether it's voice acting or whether it it was writing you know, something along those lines. They were very, very adamant about pushing, you know, something that somebody loves, because if there's one thing I've learned, if you're not doing something you love, it is really, really fucking monotonous at the end of the day. And you just don't want to do it, you know. So it's nice to see that. It's nice to hear that.
1: Um, Yeah, you know, but uh, to be clear, my parents weren't excited by the fact that i wanted to be musicians (laughs) they were very cautious you know they kind of went i don't know i don't know are you sure you want to do this and they were quite uh they were quite um, okay so so i took you know i graduated early and i started practicing every day and uh you know my parents both worked and i i would i'd hear them leave my bedroom was over top of the uh of the carport and I'd hear the, the car doors slam. And that would be my alarm clock. I'd get up, I'd make a cup of tea. I'd take out my horns and all my records and all my music and everything and play all day in, in the living room. And then I like five o'clock would roll around. I go, okay, well, I'll tidy up because mom and dad are coming home in an hour. So they come in the house and I'd be sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of tea, just kind of sitting there. And how was your day? I'm oh, everything's good. Yeah, what did you do? Well, I practiced all day. Oh, really? And so, At some point, my mother—it was in the summer. She said to me on a Sunday night, we're at Sunday dinner at the house, and she goes, uh, she goes, "Okay, well, Patrick, you have to get up uh, at nine tomorrow because uh, you've got a job." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And she she said, "Well, I I was working—you know—she had worked as a temp assistant at this uh, at this uh, office," and she said. You know, I got you a job at the office that I was working at. And I said, I already have a job. And she goes, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm, pra- I'm practicing. I play the saxophone. And both my parents said, oh, Patrick, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so she got me a job. I went there. I worked at that job until I saved enough money to buy a saxophone. Uh, I quit the job, bought the saxophone, and moved up. <laughs>
0: That'll teach him. Just out of curiosity, you remember how much your first sat. I've I've, that's that and the piano are my two favorite instruments. I've got dumb fingers. So I've I've always wanted to learn to play an instrument and the piano was always the one uh, I played a little bit in high school. And by a little bit, I played, you know, five or six classes for the most part. I just didn't want to be in school. Um, We had a very similar I have a very similar story to what you were saying, where you would go to a teacher and say hey I don't really want to do this I'm very good at this I'm already proficient in this however I want to spend my time practicing so if I do your work will you let me do this right
1: oh you did the same thing huh uh, not
0: yes and no I didn't really give them a choice essentially (laughs) you know for for the longest time I wanted to I wanted to cook for a living right Um, during high school like a lot of people had, you know, just shitty experiences in high school. I actually liked high school. I got to see all my friends. I got to hang out with them and talk to them. You know, most of the time, all of my friends live six, seven, eight miles away from me. So it's, it's you know, bicycle distance. But in Florida, it's fucking miserable between the Skeeters out here and the heat. I mean, you walk outside after you get in the shower, you, you need another shower. You got swamp ass going on. You don't want to smell bad when you get to school, right? So it was difficult to go and see the friends that I could see at school. So I use it as a social experiment. The first three years of high school, tanked it, right? I go into my senior year with like a 1.6 or a 1.7 GPA. Oh, all right. Yeah, you have a, yeah, <laughs> a 2.0 to, to, to graduate, right? So my entire senior year, I busted my ass. I got A's and everything because that's what I needed to get to pass. Yeah. And uh, I remember I took four years of Italian um, because I wanted to be able to watch The Godfather without having to read the subtitles, right? This is a
1: noble thing. This is yes, a good is. thing.
0: You know, so, and then I had went to Italy the year before, because if you do all four years of Italian, you can, you know, you can opt in to go on a trip. You have to pay for it. It was really, really expensive. And my mom, uh, you know, she was already working two jobs as it was. There was five of us at the time, four of us at home, one away, um, you know, so she did everything she could. I worked the, the previous summer to, to save money so I could spend it when I got over to Italy and, you know, help pay for the trip. But it was the most eye-opening experience of my life. I get over there and I'm seeing and smelling things I've never seen and smelled before. I'm hearing music I've never heard before. I've eaten food. It changed my entire world when it comes to culture, right? I was like, holy shit, you know, Italian food is more than just the bullshit pizza we think from Papa John's or Domino's or Little Caesars, right? It's something about pasta, but more importantly, it was something about family, right? Everybody sat down, everybody talked. That's where everybody conversed, right? You know, the whole joke was uh, as a kid, you could... It was uh, the legal age to drink was if you could see up to the bar, right? So I'm sitting in there, and like I said, I don't drink. I just don't like the taste of alcohol. I've never liked it. I, like I said, I told you earlier, I prefer weed. Um, and then, you know, I just never liked it. But I would go in there and get a Coke, and then I'd talk to people and shit. And then I'd see these little, you know, ten and twelve year old kids walk into the bar. They'd get a little shot of limoncello, and then they'd go on about their way, and they'd go to school and like fuck is going on? Like, yeah, (laughs) our country, we don't look at it like Americans, you guys get shit faced every night. Yeah, it's a social lubricant for us. Yeah. You know, so being over there and seeing all of that shit just opened up my mind. And then going into senior year, I would I would get out of specific classes and go to my Italian teacher. And her name was Miss Ray. And she's, she just retired a few years back, greatest teacher I've ever had in my life, never would let me quit. You know, I would read the same three or four books every year. Um, and it was like kids books because I knew how they ended. Um, I just didn't give a shit about reading. Um, but she put a book in my hand of Mice of Men. She gave me that book and I read it in an entire lunch break. We had uh, 30 or 45 minutes for lunch. And I was like, holy shit, this is good. And then she just kept giving me books and books and books and books. And I developed a really cool relationship where it was like a mentor. Right? I'd go to her. She'd give me, you know, experience. She'd tell me to do this or I, she would make me look at shit a different way if I didn't want to do something in school. You know, she would like, hey, you need to do this. This is going to set you up for success. So she never quit on me. And very rarely do you get to hear that type of story. Most of the time, teachers are underpaid. Their job is hard enough as it is. So it's just like get these fuckers out of here as quickly as possible. A new maybe we'll get some new ones that actually care. So it's nice to see that you guys up in Canada have some pretty good teachers like we do uh, down here every once in a while. Yeah, Um,
1: it's the hardest job. And I think it's the most important job being teaching kids, you know,
0: yeah it is. I mean it is very difficult because it's it's underappreciated, it's underpaid and it's just it's it's the most important job. One of the most important jobs. You know you've got doctors and all that shit out there, but we're really training who's taken our place, you know, down the road 15, 20 and 30 years ago. So you want to make sure you got smart people and not dummies. Um but nonetheless, man, we're here for you, not so much here for me, man. I get that. Oh, I
1: like that. That was a nice little uh trip down memory lane. <laughs> well, I hope you like that.
0: I hope you like the one about the uh the one I told you about a little preface, you know, earlier in the episode before we hit record. Um, Cause that one, like I said, it really means a lot to me, but okay. I want to know, like, so you get out of school or you get out of your parents' house after you, f- you buy your first saxophone. Do you transition into a school or are you trying to get something along with the band going?
1: No, I I went to a college and uh, so I, yeah, I went to college and uh, I met, you know, School is more a place, you know, it's a place to learn. There's no question it's a place to learn. But really what it is, it's a place where you meet your tribe. You know, you, yeah. those friends that you meet in cir- the first couple of years of university or college or whatever, uh, they're the people that, I, that I'm still super close friends with, yeah. you know, after, after a thousand years. So, uh, yeah, I went, to, I went to college. I was living with a buddy of mine. And uh, we were just playing all the time and, and uh, going to school when we could, when we could, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, uh, we were (laughs) another one of these situations where we went into the uh, jazz theory class, you know, and the teacher was this really great dude. And he kind of looks at us because you guys, this is, this is a waste of your time. Yeah. He's just said, you know, uh, do what you need to do. You don't have to be here, just do the assignments and everything like that. And so that was like, okay, great, Bruce, thanks, man. And so we took off and, and basically played and practiced and rehearsed, mostly, <laughs> you know, during his class. Uh, Anyhow, after about three months, you know, I, I found that I was taking music history and a bunch of shit that I didn't really, well, and there was other, there were English courses again, you know, cause you had to do a bunch of stuff and uh, and I just went, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm, getting no, I'm not getting enough time to practice, and I'm out of here. So I dropped out. I'm a college dropout and started working. Gosh, you know, that's an interesting thing. I started playing kind of in coffee houses and stuff like that. There used to be sort of a little small little jazz scene here in Vancouver with, I don't know, half a dozen places to play for 30 bucks a night sort of thing. Yeah. And I was I was really green. I didn't know anything. and petrified, you know. I, but I but I would stick myself out there and try to play and do all that shit. And then I also uh, was su- supplementing my uh, my income by being a, a waiter. So I worked I worked a, in the food services industry. Yeah. And uh, and that was great. It, it, you know you could make enough money to, to to pay rent on a consistent level. And then. Uh, there was a lot of time for practice, basically, during the day. And so uh, that went on for maybe six months or so. And then by that time, I'd sort of gotten my legs under me, and I knew enough people, and I could basically uh, make a living by playing. So I would have been maybe 18 when that started, where I just basically was playing for a living. But what? my rent my rent was $100 a month. Man. Oh, I mean, holy shit.
0: That's yeah. nice. Yeah. What is it like? So I've been all over this world, right? I was, uh, I think we talked briefly a few months ago. I used to be in the Navy a long time ago. So I've seen so many parts of this world. Uh, some good, some bad. Um, some fun, some not so fun. Um, some hot, some cold. You know, I've, I've been all over the world, essentially, is what I'm getting at. Um, and if there's one thing I love, it's, it's structure, right? I like knowing what I'm doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I work in the food industry now. Right. And it's got us along the same line. Most people call it prison. You just get to go home. So it's like a work release program, you know, <laughs> that's what working in the back of the house kind of feels like. Um, and that's what I do now during the day. And I do this for fun, uh, you know, my free time, but what is it like? Cause like I said, I, I love structure. I love knowing what I'm doing two weeks out, three weeks out. But I got to imagine when you're 18 years old, you've got your rent covered for the month, right? You said it was a hundred bucks. You know, you're you're chasing this dream of being, you know, you're doing, you wanna do something in music, whether you're jazz, whether you're doing something, you eventually do cartoons and shit like that and movies. Um, but what was it like, you know, can you go back and, and, you know, inhabit that 18 year old self and think of like, holy shit, were you having fun on a day-to-day basis? Was it stressful? Or what was it like? What was going through your head when you're trying to transition and, you know, you're trying to find your way through this world?
1: Well, I mean, it, it, being a freelance, anything is just a stress fest, right? You're waiting for the phone to ring. Um, and, you know, I used to joke about the fact that my life really hasn't changed. You know, the, the only thing that's changed is the decimal point. <laughs> it's shifted a little bit. But uh, yeah, you, you're you trying to network and meet people and, and go out and play and if someone likes you then you you play with them and and uh it was hard you know sometimes you land a good gig and and it was great and then other times you don't have any work and you got to figure out how the hell you're going to make ends meet uh that went on for a few years i got pretty lucky though i wound up uh working with a guy who's uh he was just he was great i was 18 and I was playing with a guy named Gary Stevens. Uh, he's originally from Wichita, Kansas. He was living up here in Vancouver. And he's like a blonde haired, blue eyed Ray Charles. Like he just, he sings like an angel. He plays the organ and piano. And, and I got into his band. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, a gig was, was two or three weeks and it was six or seven nights a week. So if you, if you got a gig, you know, there's your rent for two or three months, you know, and and you're okay. Uh, and so I worked with Gary for a couple years, and I learned a lot. And he was very patient with me, you know, because I'm this, oh, I'm a jazz guy. <laughs> He's kind of go cool. leave the jazz at home, man. You're, you're here on a r and bandstand here. And when I would go south, he would, he would just laugh and say, yeah, okay, you can calm down now. You know, we don't want to empty the place just yet. We, we'll save that for the end of the night, you know, and so... He taught me a lot about that and also hipped me to some great music that I probably never would have learned about if it wasn't for him and and his influence. You know, obviously Ray Charles and James Brown. We did a bunch of James Brown stuff, but not just that. We also did, like, uh, country music. Like, he he loved George Jones. He turned me on to George Jones. So it's like, all right, so it's not all, you know – there's music everywhere. You just have to look for it, you know, and, and the great musicians are great musicians and the great songs are great songs. So we did that kind of thing for for a few years. And then also, you know, so I'm branching out and networking with other people and playing with other guys and still doing my jazz thing. And that that's sort of rolling for me. And I guess uh, part, oh yeah, the guy, the guy that I went to uh, college with, we were roommates, he went ahead and had a big, big career. Where he started his own jazz band, big band, and uh, would hustle up work and, and get a bunch of things going on. So he had that going on, and I'm just trying to get the, 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 uh, the lineage right here because the other thing that I wanted to do was be an American. Yeah. So I was always like making a run for the border. You know, I'd get across the line, I'd get down there, and then ah you know, run out of money or get nervous. Oh God, they're going to find me. And so I'd come back to Canada. Mm -hmm. I went down to San Francisco one time for, I I hitchhiked down to San Francisco. Ostensibly on, on the pretense of, I'm going to go to San Francisco and I'm going to meet Timothy Leary. (laughs) Well, I didn't meet Timothy Leary, uh, but I met many of his friends. (laughs) And, uh, and, that trip, yeah, I hung out and playing on the street and meeting musicians and doing a bunch of stuff. And That lasted a little while. Then I, I bounced back into Toronto and I stayed there for a while and then came back to Vancouver. And then my next run to the States, I wound up in Nashville, Tennessee. But I chased a, a girlfriend who was uh, from, from uh, Texas. She Her visa ran out. She went back to San Antonio. So I went down to go be with her. And that lasted all of three or four weeks. And uh, then I wound up bouncing around and I went to visit Gary, my buddy, Gary Stevens uh, in Wichita. He was in Wichita. So I go up to Wichita and hang out with him. And then a friend of mine who was living in Brazil, but was up in Nashville doing an album. He gets in touch with me somehow and he says, Hey man, I want you to play on my record. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay. So I, I went to Nashville, never been there before. I got there on a, on a Tuesday. And I was working on the Wednesday because it just, the guy that i was hooking up with a friend of this friend of mine that wanted me to play on this record was a big bass player down in nashville and he played in all the sort of r&b style bands down there and he but he also had a daytime career as as one of the big session players and so we were living together out just out just out of town and playing music all the time and uh i did all these r&b gigs what happened was i got to town and the and the guy who was sort of doing the crossover RB stuff was a guy named Jay Patton, a really great sax player, who had just literally the weekend before I got there gone on the road with with uh, Crystal Gale, I think. Mm-hmm. So he was gone for three months. And I just kind of like show up in town playing RB. And most of the, not everyone, but most of the guys said, Oh, yeah, Jay's out of town. You play with me. So I just got a bunch of gigs courtesy of Michael, uh, Michael Rhodes, the bass player friend and uh, lived there for six or seven months and went back up to New York City and then back to Toronto and then back home to to Vancouver. So it was sort of always diving into getting down to the States. And then was in 2005, I actually just legally immigrated down. Mm -hmm. I set up, uh, I I, I was living there for uh, 15 years and I just last, at the end of last year, moved back up to Canada.
0: Man, it, it's a wild story. Uh, one thing I want to circle back to was hitchhiking. Now, my generation, I'll be 32 tomorrow, and uh, I grew up in the lock your kids up, they're coming to get everybody type of generation, right? So you had to, like we were allowed to stay out, you know, our, our dinner bell, our dinner whistle, you know, mom yelling, is essentially once you had to be home before the streetlights came on. That was essentially our... You know, our curfew type of thing. And uh, when that would happen, um, my mom would get super, super nervous. We were ever out past dark, she would get nervous because during that 90s and all that shit, you have all these weird people getting abducted. You know, he had, what was his name, John Walsh's kid getting abducted and raped and killed and like all this crazy shit. It was just starting to happen. It was starting to pile up. The media was really starting to put that if it bleeds, it leads type of thing. Yep. So, You know, most of the time, everybody's scared. And like I said, I want to circle back. What the fuck was going through your head, man, when you're getting a ride from a stranger? Obviously, obviously times are different. And every Canadian I've ever met are the sweetest fucking people in the world. I don't know what it is like if we had a tenth of you guys's positivity and you guys's kindness down here in the States. Jesus Christ, man! We get so much fucking shit accomplished, but everybody's down here yelling at each other. So, I well, I'll to...
1: tell you, man. There's some really beautiful Americans that have all that positivity and all that. You know, I, I, a lot of them are my friends that I that I met in Los Angeles. You know, just like brothers and sisters. But I do know what you're saying, and they all say the same thing. Oh, you Canadians are this and that. Go, you guys are cool too. You know. But anyway, uh, what was it like? It was it was weird, but uh, you did it. You know. Uh, I wound up, yeah. The, it's an involved story, but I wound up uh, getting a ride. There was a few little ridelets, you know, where you get like a few miles down the highway. And I had my clothes in a green garbage bag and my saxophone, and that was it. I didn't have a suitcase. <laughs> and so I was traveling with this girl and, uh, and uh, we stopped at a, at a, a truck stop. We get out on the, and it's getting dark. We're outside of Seattle somewhere. And, uh, and this big 18 wheeler stops and the guy says, come on in. So crawl up in there and she went up to the, to the bunk and just crashed. Mm -hmm. And so this dude, we're driving down the the highway and and he's like looking at me and he goes, you know, I picked you up and I said, no, actually I don't. He goes, well, I got a son about your age and uh, I don't know what you've done. I I don't want to know what you've done. I just know you're in trouble. Uh, if you're you know if my son was in trouble I'd want someone to pick him up too so I wasn't going to say yeah well, I got loaded with this girl and we're taking down to San Francisco I said yeah yeah okay that's cool you know yeah, trouble yeah that's the problem and uh, he took us right down to Concord and then we just got on the BART and went into, uh, into San Francisco from there so it wasn't you know there was some weird there was a couple weird uh, rides that we did get uh, you know where where the guy wouldn't stop the car. We said, this is good. And the guy wouldn't stop the car, the van. He just kept driving. And it's like, dude, you got to have to stop this thing. And then we got jammed in traffic and we literally bailed out the side of the, of the van and and got away from him.
0: That's, that's fucking wild. man. If you sit there and think about it, I'm always one of those guys that is always worried about like, what could have happened in that situation. Right. Because I've driven with people or ridden with people, I guess, generally people, I know uh, i've never done um I'm, I'm just too much of a pussy when it comes to wanting to do you know any type of ride channel with people i don't know like hey man can i hitchhike with you because like i said you hear those horror stories about people getting sliced or people getting taken somewhere and you know you never hear about what happened to julian after that right so yeah that's yeah. always super super worried and i've had friends where like hey man go ahead and drop me off and then you know you have an argument with that friend and then they just keep driving and you're like hey man, you pull over I don't know where this is going or what's going to happen I mean I'm going to throat chop you if we don't get out of here real quick, yeah. really soon you know so I can only imagine just the, the panic I guess is, is what I was getting to but man that's fucking wild dude I gotta I gotta imagine do you ever sit there sit sit back and think like man something could have happened or that was just how it was back then
1: yeah yeah but th- you know this is a long time ago I'm uh, this would have been in the uh 70s okay so it wasn't there was still the Green River Killer running around. There's all that kind of shit going on, but yeah. uh, it was a different time, you know. There was more trust and and there was less uh, scare tactics, or what I call, you know, uh, the evening news, the panic hour. you yeah. know? like way yeah. way less of that. You know? That's one of the things that I did uh, give up for COVID was watching news, and it, my life has been you so much better, better. Don't you? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> The only thing that I don't like is when you go out or you go over to people's houses now, even if they're friends, you know, you can't have a friend and have a differing opinion. It is what it seems like. Somebody's always like, if you don't believe me, or if you don't come on my side, then I don't want you as a friend, right? You see it all the time. You hear it all the time. And it's so hard. That's why, like I always tell everybody, I won't talk about politics. I won't talk about religion. I don't bring that shit up because it just sandbags the guest or it it puts people in a corner, right? It's like putting an animal into a Back in the back in the middle corner, you don't ever want to do that because you don't know the outcome. You don't want to make somebody upset. You want to have a free flowing conversation. You don't want to have to censor yourself, but you also don't want to bring up hot button topics because, like I said, nothing good ever comes from those topics. Just look at the news and look at everybody reacting to the news. Nothing comes from.
1: Them. All right, but on that note, you know, because I did, uh, I lived in the states for fifteen years, and one of the first things that I noticed was, you know, people were born into a political party for the most part and, and if you defected, that was a major ordeal. you know that was a big deal if you went to the other side. Uh, but what I was getting at was was that this whole thing about don't talk about religion or politics at Thanksgiving or whenever. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we should be talking about religion and politics because because of that like cone of silence, I think that's really added to the divisiveness that we're seeing now in the states particularly but also here and in other places it's like well i'm not going to talk about that because we're not going to agree and if we don't agree i'm going to have to cut your head off and it's like whoa wait a second we can actually not agree you know i like john coltrane maybe you like sonny rollins okay that's fine you know uh what do you like about
0: Sonny?
1: (laughs) i think the dialogue i think it's important to uh to be able to have a conversation without it being like uh you know, uh, torch, you know, burn it all down, you
0: know? Yeah, it, it, it's 100%. And and you hit on something that most people just overlook. Nobody talks anymore. Nobody has these conversations. Like I've gotten bagged on for this podcast so many times in the comments. And most of the time, I don't give a shit. I don't pay any light to it. Even though I go and respond to every single comment because I'm, I am trying to build a fan base, right? I want people to be just as much a part of this show as I am with my guest, right? It, it, it's something about that. And there's a transparency there, but it's it's in today's day and age you can't have a conversation. That's what I was getting at with the comments and shit. You can't have a conversation with people. People want you know bullet points. They want fact or not facts. Excuse me. They want you know the uh, clickbait shit. They want to say what you said you said this, you said that. So you must be an evil person. If you think this, you know, nobody, nobody can agree to disagree type of thing. And in today's day and age, if you don't agree with one side, you're completely ostracized. And then you're you're like, oh, he's the bad person or she's the bad person. We got to keep them over there. They silence people. They don't want to hear both sides. It's either it's very, you know, tribe like mentality. It's either you believe and you support me or you don't. And you're an evil person. And like I said, most of the time, People just don't want to have conversations. They want to have shouting matches. They want to get in their bullet points. Everybody thinks the conversation has to be a debate. You have to say X, Y, and Z, and then you have a rebuttal, and then you have somebody that's sitting there grading you on how you're doing and debating. And it's just, it's not fucking fun. I want to have conversations about religion because there's some shit about religion that I just, I want to know why people go towards it. I've had, you know, I was never molested or touched by a priest or anything like that, but I've had, you know, experiences where it's been a negative light like organized religion and shit and but you can't say certain things without offending people and most of the time people hear what they want to hear they don't hear what you're saying they see you saying they see the lips moving. they see words coming out and they're just gonna assume that what you're saying is is all religion is evil or all politicians whether you're on left or right you know you're evil you know you can't have you know you can't pick sides from you can't pick topics from both sides to support uh, and like i said most of the time people just don't want to have conversations they wanted to have a debate and it's fucking retarded and i'm sorry for using that word because I've, I've gotten you know uh people offended by that word and i don't mean it in a negative light i just mean it's 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 it, it slows the process of of having an actual dialogue with somebody right it retards yeah, and them. i think
1: i think we're, we're suffering from that now i mean uh, as a society we're suffering from this divisiveness and from this sort of uh you know it's it's it, there's zero tolerance it's like yeah. right, so explain to me why you feel this way why you think this is is what it should be make me understand it yeah you no know? and you, and you can get their best definition and you go okay well thanks for helping me understand your point of view I, my point of view is different so let you know let's all be good here, you know you don't have to cut their heads off again you know it's just like nuts. Yeah. It, it,
0: it's it's definitely they go 0 to a 100 really really fast over something very very simple you know it's it's just you used to be able to say i agree to disagree right you used to be able to say that now if you don't agree it's you're an evil person right but nonetheless, man we, i think we i think i've hit the, the the nail on the head a few many times on that one um, so we're, we were talking about you know your career but a lot of people know you for Ed, Ed, and Eddie, right, working with Danny and the whole AKA crew, man. And I love getting to this. And when I started reaching out to everybody, uh, it was Mike Kubat that said, Hey, you should talk to the writers too. You should talk to the artists. You should talk to the composers. Your name came up when we were last year, we were doing a, um, the, uh, the Christmas jingle, 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 jingle. I always mix it up. It's either jingle, jingle, jangle, or jangle, jingle, jingle. Um, But the Christmas special that they did and the first name, and nobody's able to see it because we caught audio in the background of your music. uh, um, Some of the dialogue that was said um, while we were recording. So when we tried to put it on YouTube, it was flagged as copyright. So I can't, yeah, I can't put that video out there. It was a phenomenal video. And the first person that Jono brought up was actually you. He was like, oh, Patrick, because you hear the music and we're watching. I'm like, holy shit, this seems like a a, a, a Peanuts Christmas movie. That's what it felt like with all the snow coming down and the music in the background. So he's like, yeah, you know, he started talking about you for a little bit. And that's when I started wanting like, oh, man, I want to talk to him. I want to talk to her. I want to talk to him. I want to talk to her. Um, And then that's how you came about. And so, like I said, take a step back, man. When was the first time you met Danny? When was the first time you kind of got associated with AKA cartoons? Do you remember? Uh,
1: I was before AKA. Uh, Danny and I, I was living in a uh, housing co-op in Vancouver uh, with my wife and two small kids, and uh, I got into that co-op because of the drummer in a band I was playing with. Got in with his family, and so he said, "Oh, you should come here because it's good." Because it was s- subsidized housing, mm-hmm. you know, if you needed help, you could get help, and if you were making enough bread, you know, you you paid market rent, and. Uh, and then the next, <clears throat> I guess, I told you, Danny and Sylvia were just over here yeah. for the weekend. And we were talking about this uh, and when that, how that happened. So I was living there. And then Danny and Sylvia moved in with, they had already Tex, their eldest kid. And I think Sylvia was uh, pregnant with Marlo, their youngest kid. So anyway, our kids are basically the same age. And we raised them up together one big family you know talking about the family thing and uh and danny was working at international rocket ship and uh that's a company that marv newland had and a lot of great animators were there yeah yeah. and uh and danny was like in those days you know he had he had spiked hair and he wore leather jackets and you know he was he was he was a punk musician and i was a long-haired hippie jazz <laughs> saxophone player you know barefoot running around with my kids and and uh <laughs> somehow we we got together because we were neighbors i lived downstairs and he lived right above me and uh our front doors were like side by each and and we got together and started drinking scotch and and found that we both loved Frank Sinatra. And so, so we're listening to Frank drinking whiskey and, and Danny's a big music lover of all kinds. And uh, he loves jazz music too. And so he was interested in what I was doing. And so we were talking back and forth and he kind of goes, well, what, what, what's, what's next for you. And at that time I had started composing. Because, uh, the, you know, basically the first year that my son was alive, his name's Julian, by the way, Oh, nice, uh, nice. Uh, you know, I was on the road for 180 days. Mm-hmm. So I missed his first steps and his first words and all that stuff. And I kind of thought, you know, if I'm doing this family thing, I should probably show up. I mean, I was paying the rent and the bills and everything, but I felt like I was not having I was getting ripped off, you know. So I thought, well, what what can I do? I wasn't really into writing. I'd written some stuff for the, some, you know, jazz type things that i would worked in and arrangements for R&B stuff. But I started focusing more on composing. And we move into this co-op and meet Danny a year or so later. And then he goes, what are you doing? And I go, well, I play, you know, but I'm getting more into into composing. He goes, oh, well, you should should come to Rocketship. I'll introduce you to Marv. So I go to Rocketship, Marv's a huge jazz fan. He's a freak. And so we get along great. And then I start working doing uh, scores for their animation. And I also really loved uh, sound effects, largely out of the Warner Brothers cartoons. I mean, you can't you can't differentiate the music in the set. They're just basically, it's the same thing. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, and, uh, and so I was doing sound effects some sound for them and uh, scores for them, just basically everything that I could did a bunch of things there. And then Danny had, uh, I guess he had the, the brother's grunt was the first thing that I, the show that I worked on with Danny. We'd done a few converse all-star commercials and Levi's commercials and a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, that was the first thing that we did together for MTV. And, uh, It was great we had a great working relationship and and uh yeah that that didn't do show didn't do so well but we did well i mean it was fantastic to do it and uh we really developed a a working relationship and then then he got uh then he got the eds and uh and uh yeah and then i did that show yeah it, it's funny. And I, I,
0: I waited until now, until we got to edit Ed, and Eddie to tell you the story, because I told Mike and I might have told it a few other times on the podcast. I never had um, the Eds on. I think I might have done it when I did all three of the Ed boys, the voice actors, Tony, Matt and Sam. Um, I tell this story and it, it's one of my fondest memories of, of being a kid. And I grew up with Ed, Ed and Eddie. I, I grew up with Samurai Jack, Johnny Bravo, Cow and Chicken, that entire Um, just run of shows from that led out of the, what a cartoon, the cartoon cartoon initiative where they were taking young creators and giving them, they're letting the inmates run the asylum. Essentially. They're like, Hey, do something because we're losing here. We need to win. We need to put something out here. We need to put asses in seats. We need something different. We need to differentiate between us and Nickelodeon and Disney and all these other people. So we need something different. And I remember sitting there growing up with these cartoons and Taking a step back for just a second, I was over at my sister's, uh, my my brother-in-law's mom's house, and I'm hanging out with my sister, and I see a pigeon, right, on the side of the yard, and usually when you get close to a bird, they fly away, but I noticed he was dragging his wing, or at least it looked like he was dragging his wing, and I've been a huge fan of just birds and pigeons in general. I, I thought they were the coolest things. They made the coolest sounds. It was just something about pigeons that I thought was fucking fascinating, and i go shelly hey uh, i think that pigeon's hurt and she's like you know being a smart ass like oh go catch him we'll see what we can do and That's she the pigeon. <laughs> yeah the pigeon yeah she knew he was going to fly away essentially but i walked up real slow i picked up the pigeon picked him up in my hands and he was just sitting there cooing in my hands and shit and i noticed his wing was kind of busted and then my sister was like holy shit he actually went and got the pigeon i figured he was going to fly away and i was like i took him over there and they we saw a band on the bottom of his foot
1: okay yeah
0: so we called the number and then literally four or five miles down the road, this guy trains these pigeons as carrier pigeons, right? So they would have these races and shit with these pigeons. Sure. And he was like, holy shit, I've been looking for this bird for weeks. He was like, I thought it was dead. He's like, I'll be right over. He comes over and he tells us like how he trains them and what he does. And for the life of me, I can't remember all of that shit, but it's not pertinent information right now. But it, it was like, he was like, I tell you what you did such an awesome job. And I'm like, you know, maybe 10, 12, somewhere around that age. Um, very young still. And then uh, he's like, I'll tell you what, ask your mom if you can have one of my birds, I'll give you one of the ones I've trained. And I was like, Oh, this is so fucking cool. I was like, Mom, and she's like, fuck, no, we're not getting a a rat with wings. Right. And it crushed me. You know, so for weeks and weeks and weeks, I was like, Mom, can I please have a bird? We had a dog. We we had a cat. But I I wanted something for me. I had turtles and shit. But I was like, I wanted a bird because I just thought they were so fucking cool. They had so much personality. And then, um, my mom was no, no, she's very adamant. We're not getting a bird. We're not getting a bird. And then summer rolls around. And uh, I had done something where I was, you know, either doing really good in school the year before in middle school, or, you know, I helped out around the house, you know, she was like, you know, you've been really, really good. I'm going to take you to a, a bird place where you can go and buy a bird she's like we're not getting, we're not getting a parrot we're not getting into that but we'll get you a cockatiel or something like that right so the guys with the little cones that flip up they got the red rosy or the orange rosy cheeks so I go in there and then she's like you can gonna have any bird in these three cages and they hand fed all of these birds right they hand fed them so they're very docile you could pick them up you'd love on them they're really cool birds so I heard him before I saw him right Okay. Cool. and then he's he's upside down like a bat right with his feet on the perch going and he's still he's still a baby bird but he's big enough where he can flap around the cage and all that other shit and i was like i looked at him and i see him upside down everybody else was just standing there on the perch or standing there on the side of the cage just doing what birds do. And I was like, I want that weird fucker, right? Yeah, there. Really, I want him. Mean, He's got character. He's got, he's got the old razzle dazzle, right? I want him. I get him home and I name him nacho, right? Because he had his, his cheeks look like nacho cheese. I was a fat kid. I liked nachos. What can I say? That's perfect. What, right. So I named him nacho. I get home and then this is like where my fascination with cartoons started. It all started that entire summer uh, they would start running the reruns of the previous season of Ed Ed and Eddie Cal and Chick and all these other crazy shows. So, Ed Ed and Eddie was the first one on at six o'clock in the morning, right? So, uh, every morning he would hear that theme song, the. Yeah. So, he over the entire summer learned, you know, <laughs> he, <laughs> you had a bird. <laughs> yes. He learned the entire whistling part, right? It's great. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. I'm like, oh man, this is so awesome, so awesome. My mom got a kick out of it. My brother got a kick out of it. Everybody got a kick out of it, right? It's amazing. Then comes the first day of summer, right? So, like, or the first day or first day of summer where we're not having to get up so early and all this other shit. You know, we're actually all able to relax and all that other stuff. And this little bastard, it's six <laughs> o'clock in the morning.
1: It's your alarm clock,
0: yes. And that's how he would start every single morning, whether I had to get up for school, whether I didn't have to get up for school. That's how he started his day. Uh-huh. That's great. Your song. He started his day like that.
1: And that's Antonucci whistling, by the way, on this. Song. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, man. I, I don't even know why I never thought to ask, like, who was whistling. It's just one of those things, like you just hear it and you're like, oh man, it's so fucking cool. You guys had one of those theme songs that was just. It, fucking re- it resonated with a goddamn bird and a human being. both. Yeah, right. So when you're coming up with this theme song, does Danny come say, Hey, I've got this idea. I want to try to flesh out. Does he give you the keys to the kingdom or how does that come about when you're trying to find, you know, a theme song for a show?
1: That, <clears throat> that song, that theme, Danny, you know, we talked about what kind of band it would be, you know, <clears throat> what he wanted for a band. And uh, he wanted it to be jazzy and R&B-ish. You know, he wanted live musicians. Uh, and so, and then he he said for the theme, he wanted it to be like, I forget who the original artist is, but there's a whistling song called Big Noise from Winnetka. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I want it to be like that. I want it to be bouncy and fun and and just kind of like, but he didn't want it to be anything like, uh, who was it? Uh, John Renit Stippy. He didn't want it to be that yeah. kind of, he wanted it to be more r and you know, and, and more kind of visceral and, and uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I came up with that melody and, and the idea for the theme or for the, for the instrumentation. And then, I bring it in to Danny and I'm just playing on the piano. He goes, yeah, that's close, but maybe let's try this. Let's try that. And then he started whistling it. And I went, dude, you have to whistle it. He goes, oh, okay, great. So we go into the studio and he whistled it. So it was really cool.
0: Do you remember how long it kind of took you to flush out the theme song? Obviously you, you hear him whistling or you hear him trying to, you know, work through something to find out what that perfect noise or what that perfect sound was. Do you remember how well, long it
1: kind of took? I had, so- I had written the song. I had written the the song and i had a melody to it uh that i think probably played on a piano or something like that and uh and you know he he took that and just sort of gave it his his spin on it you know and so that's how that that's how that can in terms of how long does it take to write i don't know uh a lot of that stuff is you, you spend a lot of time thinking and then the writing part just happens you know
0: so for you specifically, now I know you can't speak for everybody, and everybody has their their difference the the way they they find that flow state or how they come up with whatever they're trying to create. But you specifically, do you hear a melody first? Do you hear lyrics first, or how does it work for you?
1: It different every uh, it's, time? It's, it's different all the time, and it depends on the it depends on what the you know the assignment is. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's about words, and you sort of you 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 come in that way. Other times it's about the feel or the groove or the, you know, or the, is it urgent? Is it mellow? Is it sweet? Is it kind? Is it, you know, all these different sort of things you come into it. Uh, it's always, it's always, it's always different. And each, I've been doing a lot of uh, Netflix work the last three or four years in the sort of the supernatural mm. Uh, I did a show called Ghost Wars, and then I did a show called uh, The Order. Uh, and now I'm working on another one called The, uh, the Imperfects. Mm-hmm. And that's all kind of like supernatural, super real. And so that's more textural. Yeah. But, but then there's also big melodies that come through it. You, you get assigned to characters and, and things like that. So with the Eds, I basically wrote a melody. I wrote a theme for for eddie i wrote a theme for double d and i wrote a theme for ed and then there was the, the general vibe you know that sort of bouncing blues feel i also had uh, little tiny uh motives for uh for sarah and for uh jimmy mm-hmm. <laughs> actually basically every time jimmy's on camera i try to do a waltz right i would try to go into three <laughs> you know it just didn't matter what it was they would get all get all high on the piano you know in the little walls up there for jimmy yeah, and yeah. uh and sarah had her own vibe and and i think even uh the cankers had their own vibe but you know and then oh and Rolf had his own thing it was funny because uh just anything in a like a crazy sort of uh eastern european polka style just every time he showed up it would just break into this sort of uh, polka beat and as as and usually i tried to have a couple of different keys going on at the same time because you know rolf was the best character he was just oh, insane
0: a hundred percent i've had i've had a lot of the original voice cast on um peter kellemis being one of them the voice of rolf And everybody says the same thing whenever Rolf comes up, man, he was, he was hands down out of that and show my favorite character. He always had the best insults. He had the best lines. He was always the craziest and funniest one of the entire group or the entire, you know, group of cul-de-sac kids. It was, he was just so funny. Um, and it, and it just makes sense for him to have something a little extra, something a little wild, something oh, yeah. going this yeah. way and then going this way to see what happens yeah,
1: in opposite directions as much yeah. as possible. Just totally chaos. Whenever you showed up, now, one I got, that, 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 that's how we, that's how we did it. I wrote these different themes and then, you know, it was a great, it was a great job because I got to write music for my buddies yeah. and go into the recording studio and record it with them. You know, and that lasted for nearly 10 years. And uh, that was great. Now, I've had a
0: few of you composers on, you know, I've had uh, Randy Rogel. I've had Jim Lang from Hey Arnold, which was him. Him. He's he's one of my favorites because I like that that bluesy, that jazzy style. And I don't know if you ever watched Hey Arnold back in the day. I'm pretty sure you were really, really busy and you couldn't. (laughs) Uh, my favorite show on Nickelodeon, but it was he always had like the coolest looking room. Arnold always had the coolest looking room and the soundtrack matched the coolest looking room because, like I said, it was that 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 jazz. Right. You know, just some, yeah. something about it would just like hook you in. Um, and then everybody said, you know, something different. It just all depends on where it was as far as the production goes for the show. Um, Jim would say he would get it and then it, they would want the music done two or three days later. Um, and then it was right out the door. Is it the same across the board for, for, for you guys that's composing? Do they give it to you at the last possible minute? And then you kind of got to to throw some stuff together.
1: Uh, well, i it, it really depends. We did do six seasons of the show, you know, or five seasons or something.
0: Yeah. It was five uh, seasons and a couple movies.
1: Yeah. Movie. And the schedule was all, it was, I think it was the last hand-painted animated show Mm -hmm. in Pistons, or maybe the, was it The Simpsons that might have still been hand-painted? Anyway, so uh, a lot of it, if there were snags in uh, in the animation process, that would delay me getting picture. I had to, I wrote to picture, so they would give me a picture and then I'd write it. I usually... Usually they gave me like a a week or 10 days, sometimes two weeks. Uh, And then there were times when I would literally write, I'd write the show and arrange it and record it all in like four or five days. Uh, That's insane. But they're vertical days. I mean, I just, you don't sleep. You just basically, you just go straight through. And then you just- Now, when when you're doing that,
0: uh, which do you prefer? Now, before I ask that question, when you get these, when you get the show, right? Are you getting it with the voice actors already putting over? So do you know the tempo of the show, or is it completely blank and then you've got a canvas to really paint on?
1: No, they do the, the voice records the first thing that goes down. Okay. And then they animate to that, right? Because they've got to get the lip which yeah. right. Uh, and then there'll be re, there'll be sometimes uh, the animation needs changing, or people, you know, it needs to be tightened up, or whatever. And there will be re will be re-edits. I'll get a version of the show, and then very often, it's where I won't get the final picture until the day I'm recording, or even sometimes even afterwards. You know, you have to just go in and fix it uh, yeah. however you can. Because that show, I did—I spent a lot of time hitting cuts, hitting looks, hitting just really frame-accurate music. It was—it wasn't just an idea. Everything was locked hard to picture. And that was sort of what I think what made it uh, pop, you, know? you mm-hmm. could really feel that it was the music and the, and the, and the, and the uh, show and the action were it was totally
0: locked. Yeah. Now, when you're doing a project like this, when you're doing any project, when it comes to, you know, your original passion has always been music, at the heart of it, it's always been music, right. And to follow a career that you really get to follow your passion or something that you wholeheartedly believe in as the greatest thing to you. Like I said, in the beginning of the show, it, it, it means something, right? So it, it means something special to you. With that being said, you know, all the things you've done from, from traveling with bands, to, to getting into the backseat of cars for people you don't know, to working on television <laughs> shows and cartoon shows for you specifically, what has been the most gratifying in your entire career? Has it been those r and shows that you got to play with your friends, Gary Stevens, or was it the cartoons that you really got to work with Danny? What really made you feel at the end of the day, whole in a sense?
1: You know, it's a, it's a cop-out answer, but all of it does it, yeah. you know, like when you do, when you, when you nail it, when you're writing something and you nail that and you, and you know, I get that look from Danny and then you see the show and that works beautifully. I mean, that's about as good as it can get, you know, and, it's funny, I haven't played the saxophone in 20 years, <clears throat> but uh, I, I just moved back to the Vancouver area. And I had some time and I took out the horn for the first time in ages. I mean, I play it play it a little bit, but I don't like play it. Yeah. And I haven't gigged on it since 2000 or 2001. And uh, I was playing the horn, just minding my own business and the phone rings. And it's the leader of a band that I played with for 15 years out of the blue. And he goes, yeah, uh, you're back on, you're back in the band. And I go, what are you talking about, man? He goes, yeah, we got a gig and I want you in the band. I said, man, I haven't played for 20 years. He goes, I don't care. You're back on the band. I want you in the band. It's in September. So now I've got a fucking gig, you know, (laughs) Uh, but I tell you that story because I've had some, you know, and that was that was just a a touring blues band. I worked with them for for 15 years. They were called the powder blues, very popular in Canada from the 80s. Right. And then and I loved that. I mean, it was it was a great gig with great players. And, you know, and there's a thing that happens with musicians. There's a there's a there's a feeling that you just, you, 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 it's, it's a unique singular experience when you're on the bandstand playing with guys. It's almost like time stands still when it's really good, just kind of like goes into this other dimension. Mm-hmm. So that's very gratifying. But, you know, I love writing music. I uh, Maybe I'll love playing the saxophone again. I can assure you it's way harder now than it was 20 years ago. <laughs> so we'll see.
0: Now, is it harder? Before we get to that, I, 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 you brought up the blues a few times. And then, like I said, I'm very – I don't want to say new because it makes it sound like I don't listen to music. But very rarely do I listen to music anymore um, because – it's just like I find myself listening to the same bands or the same style of music that I've been listening to my entire life. Generally, what you grow up with or grow up around is generally what you kind of listen to, or what you kind of watch, or what you're kind of into for your entire life. You think it's the greatest, where, you know, if I listen to Nirvana in the 90s, right? Just for an example, I think they're one of the greatest bands of all time. You growing up, you were a huge Coltrane fan. You said, so he's the greatest. So we all have these ideas of what we think is the greatest. And it's like, it's identity politics at the end of the day. You got your tribes, right? You're sitting there yep. like, oh, no, grunge music, or no, sublime, or no, X, Y, and Z, right? But one thing I've really started to, like, try to push myself out of a comfort zone, if I could use that phrase, which I don't like using when it comes to music, because there's nothing uncomfortable about music. Um, but I've really started to, like, I don't know if it's just because my tastes have gotten different since I've gotten older, because everybody's taste changed, food, drinking, you know, all this different stuff. You, you like different stuff as you get older. Every 10 years, you're a different person, essentially. Um, if, you're but, <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah, lucky, right? So um, one thing I've started to gravitate more towards is that blues style of music. And one guy I have been hooked line and sinker on, well, two of them, one's more country than the other. But uh, Chris Stapleton, uh, as far as country goes he is like bob seger meets travis tritt his voice is so fucking beautiful his music is amazing it's, he's one of my favorite people to listen to right now i can put any of his albums on and it doesn't matter what song it is it's playing um and it's just on repeat on repeat and repeat i can just listen to him all day and the other one is somebody new over the last few years i saw him in the netflix series luke cage and what i have you ever watched that show no, I think, I think you would absolutely love it because every episode has a theme to it in the acting, the writing and in the music. So they have an R&B like uh, um, like, oh man, what's it called? Like a, like a venue. Right. This guy's running this club and it's R&B. So everybody is different. And the music matches the tone of the show. The show is called Luke Cage. Season one and season two are both fucking phenomenal. Oh, um, right. But like I said, each like once you start getting introduced to these characters, they start having all of these just these up and coming. And some of them are even, you know, well-established artists coming on here and I've got goosebumps now thinking about it, but, (laughs) uh, a song is played. I'll put a spell on you and it's by, uh, he didn't originally write it. He's just doing his cover version of it. And I'm pretty sure you've heard of this guy, Christome Kingfish Ingram. Have you heard of him? No, man. holy shit this dude is like bb he's he was a he was a guitar sensation, like a a prodigy essentially when he was like five six years old somebody found him on youtube of all places this dude is bb king reincarnated right wow is fucking phenomenal like you listen to him and you're like how is this man only 21 22 years old he's got the voice of a 60 70 year old dude that's seen everything like you feel, and I don't, I don't want to try to pretend like I know music as much as you do or anybody else does, but it, like listening to it, you feel like his pain, you feel his discomfort, you feel his anger, you feel all these things that it just, it makes music more than I, I guess that I can comprehend or I can articulate, right? I can talk yeah. about comics, I can talk about TV shows and movies and animation, all this other stuff. I can't really talk, you know, as poetically as I'd like to about music, but it's just like, it's just this this visceral, this guttural feeling, this primal feeling, I guess is a better word. Like when I listen to his music, I'm just like, holy shit, there's levels to this shit, right? There's there's levels and there's levels to listening. And it's just every time I hear this man, I'm like, fuck, dude, this is like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And the man's only 21, 22
1: years old. That's so, weird. I mean, that's freakish because <clears throat> some people are just born with it, you know? Yes. They, they- it's uh it's amazing you know yeah other other people have to work work a little harder (laughs) (laughs) something about that prodigy
0: thing when we get off here i'll actually send you uh like a a video for him he's Funny, phenomenal dude um but as we start to wind down because i don't want to keep you too much longer i try to keep you guys about an hour um and i've enjoyed this conversation man these are one of these Hi, conversations guys. where where people will be like oh man when are we going to get to Ed edit any we'll get to it when we get to it type of thing but i like hearing the story of people like you and everybody else that i have on because it's not just a singular event you didn't just work on Ed, Ed and any there's a lot of shit that leads up to building that character shaping that person molding that person to get to where you are then now and where you're going to be later. And I like hearing that story. So I hope the fans are really starting to come around to it now. I, I'm getting a lot more comments about people liking the conversations, vice-like, right. and when it's gonna get to Ed Ed and Eddie, right? So nonetheless, as we start to wind down, um, you, you brought up a show that you're working on, The Imperfects for Netflix. Uh, do you know when that drops so we can, you know, push
1: traffic towards it, people can go and see it? You know, I, I honestly don't know when it's gonna drop. Okay. Uh, yeah we have yeah we're just we, we, they just finished shooting so we're <clears throat> right at the beginning of the post-production okay so i would guess probably next summer or yeah. maybe in the uh maybe in the spring
0: early spring type of thing cool so i'll make sure that uh you know whenever whenever it starts to get ramped up whenever release date i'll make yeah, it. sure man that'd be cool after. Uh, Because I'm really looking forward. I love seeing what you guys are working on. You guys and guys are working on it. Uh, It's always something fun to see how far you've evolved since I've seen you when I first seen you type of thing. It's always crazy to see what else is getting thrown into the pie to see to really what's going to be upgraded or what's going to be different. What has he learned or what has she learned since then? Um, But as we wind down and I like to end this, you know, one of two ways generally. And it's a two part question. And one of my favorite stories are, are the Christmas parties, right? So, what was your favorite gift, I guess, from the AKA days? Whenever you guys would do Christmas parties. Now, John has me the condoms. He showed me breaking case of, and it's a you know glass of whiskey. Yeah. Um, one was a big pencil. I can't remember what that tagline was. But does one one gift from the AKA Studios really stick out the most to you?
1: Oh no, man, no, they were all great. Uh, I mean, that's just Danny. It's Danny and and uh, very thoughtful. His he's got a great sense of humor and he's a very generous guy and he wants people to uh, have have fun, mm-hmm. sort of first and foremost, but also get the job done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I don't have a favorite gift. I mean, <clears throat> I used to keep all that stuff. i I've moved a few times since then. I don't even know where where it went to. But uh, yeah, yeah. There used to be a watch too. We had a watch. Anyway. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I can't think. They're all great. They're all wonderful.
0: Yeah, I just like seeing what people gravitate towards more. Uh, like I said, Jono, I think it was just the breaking case of, and then it was a bottle of whiskey or some shit. Yeah. I just, I yeah, got yeah. a good kick out of that. Yeah. Um, and the next, the next part of it was when you think of all the times you spent with AKA, all the times you spent with Danny. Is there one story or one moment that you got to share with Danny? And if, if, if it's too personal, you don't have to share it. But I mean, is there one story that you really think about? Like when you're sitting back on your rocker, you've retired, you're hanging out with the great, 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 great grandkids, you know, everybody's sitting on, on the porch, just reminiscing. Um, is there one memory or, or one, you know, time that you got to spend with Danny or anybody from the AKA studios, you know, because everybody says it was such a family oriented, you know, studio that really comes to, to your mind when you think about it.
1: I mean most so many of my uh significant relationships came out of that yeah. came out of aka Dennis Heaton the guy I'm working with now on the Netflix show was a, an original aka guy mm-hmm. and uh but before that he was at uh he was at rocket Ship too so you know, it all—it actually does kind of all go back to to uh, to Marvin Rocketship, but at AKA, I mean, like Danny and I are uh, very, very close. Like our families are, are are interconnected. I was at his son's wedding last year and two years ago, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, we're connected. My, my my kids hang out with his kids, and uh, it's just it's there's there's no one thing i mean
0: it's like, yeah it's a beautiful relationship yeah. man it's something that a lot of people are missing these days having that one person or that group of people that aren't linked by blood but you guys have been through some shit you guys have been through the trenches you've seen some shit you guys have experienced a lot of the same stuff a lot of the same ups and same downs same yep. lows you know you guys said you had kids that are roughly the same age, man. So that's interesting. Cause you guys can kind of like, Hey, does your kid do this? Like, yeah, he does this. Does she do that? And like, no, she doesn't do that. I'm like, well, that's fucking weird. So you guys have these things where you can kind of bounce off and kind of talk to, you know, so it, it's always nice to hear, you know, uh, what everybody means to everybody. Cause like, I and said, it,
1: you know, at this point I'm, I'm friends with, with his kids, like, yeah. If one of their, you know, when I was living in LA, if one of the kids was in LA, they're, they're staying with me, you know, it's like, we're friends where that's how it works, you know, and, and uh, same with, same with my kids, you know, they they consider Danny and Sylvia family. And it's great. And it's, you know, it's just like you say, there's, we've, we've done so much together mm -hmm. over. Well, when did we meet? I guess 1987, we met.
0: So 34 years ago. Yeah, that's what thirty five, thirty five, I think, something like that. i I'm horrible at math. I failed it a few times, you know. So, who fucking knows? I'll be thirty two tomorrow, so subtract two years. So well, happy three. birthday!
1: Yeah, thanks,
0: man. I appreciate <laughs> it. So yeah, so it's it, it's uh it's been fun, man. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. Today, I, like I said, I've I've had an infatuation. Makes it sound like I'm a crazy fanboy, but I've had such a fun time. Speaking to you guys and gals from AK, you guys always have some of the best stories. You guys always have some of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Some of them I've had to cut out and nobody will hear. Um, you know, so it's always fun to see like another piece to the puzzle kind of get added to it when, it, when we talk about AK. Um, is there anything that we didn't bring up that you're working on? I know we talked about imperfects. We're not sure when that'll come out, probably sometime spring, summer of next year. But is there anything that you're working on that, that you, you, you can bring up and say, hey, go check this out when it drops? Do you have anything? I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I don't think there that was.
1: No, there's 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 nothing at the moment. I mean, I am. Danny's in development on another show. Yeah. And I'm, I'm working with him on that, uh, which is great. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, my focus is on on this, the Imperfects right now. Which is a really fun show it's like uh uh actually kind of timely because it, it's sort of uh mad scientist and uh uh genetic modification and all this sort of thing you know and and it's and it's really it's really fun and and so that's that's where my focus is right now and I'm trying to get my chops back up for this gig in september i <laughs>
0: hey, mean you better you better start stretching and start getting on that horn one more time. i know i'm gonna get
1: stretching yeah, i gotta work out
0: But yeah, man, like I said, Patrick, I've had an absolute blast talking to you. Uh, I hope you had fun, too, man. He's been Patrick. I've been Julian. This has been the What's My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you when I see you. See you later. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.